Is God good? Well, he's better than we know. And does that mean bad things don't happen? Uh, no, bad things happen. Um, but we know that there's a God who loves us and a God who's at work and a God who has a plan for our lives. On the way home last night uh, from uh, the conference, we got in, we got in way ahead of the uh, Cleavers. Uh, we got in at like 7.30. I think Pastor Phil got in at 10.30 last night. So uh, we really are shaking off the dust of travel getting in. But right coming into is like the last, the last exit right before you hit Boise, uh, that Micron area, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, there was a loud boom, and uh, I didn't know what it was, and Nora looked in the rearview mirror, and she saw rubber flying, right? So we blew a trailer tire on the way in, and um, that was exciting. And uh, last time we had that happen, we only had a single axle, and it was, uh, I think, a 22-foot a Terry trailer, and it was being hauled by a 1987 uh, Suburban. I looked in the rearview mirror. I knew the tire blew on that one because I looked in the mirror, and I saw the trailer crossing lanes doing this back and forth. So... Um, I'm a real fan of dual axle. Uh, but anyway, so the Lord gave us safety and, and uh, allowed us to get all that taken care of. And I say partly all that to say, you know, when we look at the world around us and you look at bad things happening, you can, you can be in dismay thinking that, oh, well, why does God allow those things? Just know that God is good. And God has a plan, and in that plan, you're going to see God's plan in this passage today. That plan is the ministry of reconciliation. It's how we have come to Christ, how we were, who were outside of Christ, have by the goodness of God come to know the gospel message and appropriated that message to our lives by turning in faith to Christ, then what that thou means to us. We'll go back to now verse 14. We've already gone over this passage. Actually, what I want to do this morning, I want to go back to verse 10 and read through. We're going to be at least in verse 16, and I hope verse 17 this morning. Verse 10. Let's read out loud together, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 through 17. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you come to this passage, I think it's important, again, to remember that there's a lot going on in Paul's life uh, regarding uh, his, 
his presentation of himself to the Corinthians, that there was resistance to him and he had to address it in the church. So he takes time throughout this passage to focus on uh, his, his uh, interaction with the church. Verse 12, for instance, for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf. In other words, uh, as he goes on from there, he says, some people say we're mad or crazy, uh, but really we are standing, if I can say it in my words, we're standing uh, under the banner of Jesus Christ and if that seems mad to the world, then let us be mad. Uh, for you, we want you to be able to answer why we're doing what we're doing is basically what he is saying. Uh, that's verse 13, for whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your sake. But he goes on from there, and we spent a lot of time over the last couple Sundays actually going over that word constraint. For the love of Christ constrains us, or squeezes us, or gr grabs us, controls us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Now, what he's talking about here is this ministry, this ministry that God has given to all of God's children, and that is that if you are saved here in this room this morning or online watching, you, are, as you're going to find out in this passage, are a messenger for God telling the world how the world can be reconciled or redeemed. How a world who is outside of God can be made right with God. That's the message that we are carrying. He goes on in verse 15, and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Understanding that verse 15 is not, again, simply gospel centric. It is centered in the gospel. But verse 15 is not so much about the gospel as it is the fruit of the gospel. So many of us, when we think about salvation, we think of, well, God has delivered me from hell and praise God for that. Amen? So is it appropriate to give thanks that you've been saved from hell? Well, yes, of course. Of course. Uh, we're going to talk about that some in this, in this passage. But verse 15, I was a little shocked to hear this even in the conference because some of this I touched on in the conference. But verse 15, and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. To whom or for what reason are you living your life? I was a little surprised in the conference to hear a pastor uh, who's older than me say, and he travels a lot, who said, you know, I don't really hear many messages on consecration anymore. And I'm surprised by that. I don't know what your experience is. For many people visiting here, uh, you've been to other churches and you've seen or heard what you've heard. But it's a little bit alarming to me that a church wouldn't have a continual drumbeat of consecration. For after all, that is what God has done for us. He's reconciled us, as it says here in this verse, verse uh, 15, that we should not from this point forward live unto ourselves. In other words, our focus has changed. Our view of the world has changed. Our disposition, our direction, uh, our destiny, uh, everything about our lives has changed, as you're going to see in this passage, and it's all because of Jesus. And again, uh, thinking about the gospel, uh, for those of you that were saved at a point in life when you can remember what you experienced when you got saved, do you remember that? Do you remember what you felt when you got saved? I don't know what many of you would say. I would say one of the first things I felt was relief. I felt like a huge weight or pressure had been taken off of me. Doctrinally, why did it come off of me? Doctrinally, why did it come off of me? Because Christ was bearing it all. 
okay? There's something else I felt when I got saved. This came after that sense of relief or peace. What else came was a sense of a great, huge, black void in my life being filled. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Where now it seemed like that huge emptiness was filled. Why? Because that huge hole is a God-sized hole that only God can fill. Well, that's what this passage is talking about. And we're going to dive into this because verse 16 is one of those verses, if you read by itself, I think without the context, can be somewhat hard to break down. So look at verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. There are some commentaries and even some doctrinal, uh, excuse me, some translations that I think more focus on this in the verse or two, right, uh, excuse me, a phrase or two before this, like back in verse 12, and would say, well, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. What they think is they think that Paul is addressing uh, the fact that he had conflict in Corinth and that there were those who were raising up themselves saying, hey, follow me, or hey, I'm important, and putting down Paul. Now, that was true. That was happening. But I really think the context of the passage is not bearing that message out in verse, six, verse 16. Why? Because the verses right preceding it, I think, bear into verse 16. When he says, uh, wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. What is the henceforth there referring to? Uh, now, we don't know any man after the flesh. What is he talking about? He's talking about what he's just given in verses 14 and 15. What's he doing with his life? Paul is saying that in my life, the love of Christ to me and the love of Christ to the world compels, controls, confines, brings me into a very narrow focus of life. That narrow focus of life is my life belongs to God. And with my life, I want to serve him. And all of God's people said. So you see, that is normal Christianity. That's what normal Christianity is supposed to be. Now you're going to hear in the days ahead, uh, especially in our Sunday evenings and at our business meeting, <coughs> you're going to hear a lot about internship. And you're going to hear a lot of focus on we really need to be investing in pastors and helping pastors get into the harvest, getting laborers to go in the harvest. Now, why are we focusing on pastors and full-time missionaries? Frankly, the story continues to be told. It was told this last week at the conference that what you're having, let me just give you Northwest Baptist Missions Conference testimony. They have more missionaries. Northwest Baptist Missions Conference started on Monday with the funeral. Okay, it started on Monday with a funeral. There have been several missionaries that have passed away recently, but you have more missionaries dying and retiring than those who are coming to take their place. Is that a problem? Then I'm going to say this again. You're going to get tired of me saying it. What are we going to do about it? Now, God is the one who puts laborers into the harvest, but we as a church have something we can do and should be doing, and we're going to be talking about all those things. But when I talk about pastors and full-time vocational servants, remember that that's not all we're talking about when we're talking about service to God. Who is to serve God with their life? Every believer. Amen? So if this is news to you, I'm sorry. It should not be. It should not be news to any believer. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say as well, the, the, 
I, I don't want to sound like Joel Osteen here, um, or like I'm selling a book. Um, but your best life now is surrendered to Christ, right? Your best life now is not making a lot of money, is not having a bigger house, is not having a car that doesn't break down. There isn't, I passed a Porsche in my suburban and trailer. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, that did give me pleasure, I, I tell you. It's like, it gave me curiosity too. It's like, what is wrong with you? Okay, so. <clears throat> Your best life now is surrendered to the Lord. I'm going to say it again, not preaching last week's message again, but living the, the, the most fulfilled life is living surrendered to God. He does a, a better job at navigating your life for you than you ever will. And I'm just going to follow that with a question. Is he trustworthy? Then why wouldn't we? then why wouldn't we live sold out to God? Why, why not? What are you afraid of? Anyway, so don't be afraid. My point is that God has called every one of us to that, okay? So Paul says, he died for all, that they which live should not live henceforth unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. That phrase, after the flesh, I believe based on the context, is saying we don't look at man through a flesh or sin-stained or natural man's mentality any longer. Because we are redeemed, and because the love of Christ has gotten a hold of my life, I no longer look at man the same way anymore. So I don't think that he's necessarily thinking about those problem people in Corinth, though he might be. But if he is thinking about them, he is saying that my disposition towards those people has changed. I don't look at them in the same way that I would look at them if I was not redeemed. Christ changes everything. He changes how you view people. We do not see people in the same fashion as we did before we were saved. Now, I think that sometimes we need reminded about this. So, regarding the lost, many times believers can fall back into a natural thinking. If it wasn't for Scripture and the Holy Spirit, you would stay there. But the Scriptures and the Spirit change your disposition to the lost around you in the world. Many times when we see people who disagree with us, and especially with our walk with God, we see them as what? We see them as what? Well, some of you might say enemies, and maybe that is too strong a word for some of you, but I would say that that's the disposition I've seen. I would say at least the word I've written down here is we see those who disagree with us as opponents, But Christ changes that. I referenced for you uh, last week that I stood beside a pastor one time at a rally that uh, his statement at the rally as he was counter-protesting, he leaned towards me and he said, doesn't it, my paraphrase, doesn't it throw you just to give it back to him? And I knew that I was in the wrong place. Because I really feel like the world around us 
needs to see Jesus. And while Jesus does, yes, oppose things that are ungodly, uh, these people are just like you and me, except for we are saved, they are lost, and if it wasn't for Christ, we'd believe all manner of evil. And we would be open to all manner of evil. Take your Bibles to a couple passages just to understand the disposition change. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. In other words, when you see someone who is lost, uh, again, they're going to live like life like lost people, Right? So if you see someone who's lost, are they going to live according to their belief? Yes. So what are you going to do? Well, you can wag your head and you can be angry and you can say, well, they oppose where I am. And, or you can remember, remember there is a lost soul who needs Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that what? Oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So what are lost people doing? They are living after the course of their desire. They are looking at this life right now, and for the lost person who doesn't have hope in what comes next, this is it. Do you think that drives some of the passion, some of why people are doing what they're doing? If they can't get everything they want to get right now, because this is where their hope is? Let me ask you, if this is where your hope is, how does that feel to you? If this life and these things around you is the, only, is the only thing that gives you hope, how hope-filled are you? Well, the Bible answers that. If, it, if in this life we have hope only, we are of all men, you remember the phrase? We are of all men most miserable. Why? Because life is hard. Life is hard. People need a Savior. So a lost person, when we see them, Often, Christians can fall back into the mentality that they are the enemy because we're saved and they're not. And I would just say again, something that you would already know, that if it wasn't for the grace of God, there go you. Listen to the passage again, that they may recover, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. First of all, back in verse 25, they oppose themselves. But in verse 26, that they may recover themselves out of the what? Snare of the devil. Who are taken captive by him at his will. Make no mistake that Satan is working in coordination with our fallen nature to bring as much damnation and destruction as he can. Satan is not a friend of the world. And how deceptive is Satan? Very. The master of it. Presenting to the world all manner of lies. Why? Because he's the father of it. And ensnaring people all around me. You know what? You want deliverance? Have a drink. You want deliverance? Take a drug. You want deliverance? You're not finding happiness in that person? Let me give you another one. And what comes with all those things? Snare, snare, and snare. You ever seen an animal snared? 
What do you generally see where they are snared? Either they, you see them snared where they die, or you see where they are snared where it is raw and bloody. Sometimes there are animals that actually have chewed off legs to escape a snare. This is where unsaved people are. And by the way, when we talk about the snare, now this is not in the message, but I'm going to say it as clearly as I know how this morning. Some Christians today have taken an affection towards a new swell in Christianity of liberty. And in that liberty, they are saying that, hey, it's okay to drink alcohol. And I will tell you this about drinking alcohol you had better be reading all of your Bible and all of the warnings against it. Now, we don't say in this church that drinking alcohol is a sin. Do you know why? Because the Bible doesn't say that. There are times that alcohol is meant to be used for different purposes. But you would be foolish to be imbibing in social drinking as if it had no snare in your life and not know the testimony of the young man who's dead now and left kids behind who was in my youth group. And the reason is alcohol. You see, Satan presents things as if, hey, this will be fine. There's no big deal. It'll be good. Matter of fact, you'll feel good for it. And what does the Bible say about the pleasure of sin? He says it lasts for how long? A season. Why? Because all that Satan offers is a counterfeit. If you think you're going to find a great life outside of God, you are fooling yourself. And believer, lest you get deceived by looking at the world and not knowing the doctrine of the word, the world has no good thing to offer you that's going to bring peace to your soul. Our contentment is really found in the God of the Bible. Take your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. This world around us, we need to stop looking at those that are unsaved as opponents, those that we are, face as enemies that we ha somehow have an angry and foul disposition towards. They are lost people. Back to 2 Corinthians 5, I'm reading it for you while you're in Ephesians 2. He says, For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Why? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you hath he what? Quicken. What's that word mean? You hath he made alive. But how are we described? He's made us alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I don't think we should ignore the fact that that's plural in both instances. Before he knew Christ, can you, could you imagine trying to list the manner of your sins? Where in time past, verse 2, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, an old English word meaning lifestyle, manner, behavior, our living in time past in the lusts of our flesh. Every one of us out, outside of Christ were really living for this purpose. How can I make myself as happy as possible? How can I get what I want out of life? How can I get simply what I 
want, according to the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Read the last part of that phrase out loud with me. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We see lost people too often as opponents, but Paul says we don't look at any man after the flesh any longer. In other words, I don't just see a human being walking on the planet. I see a soul who needs Jesus. And it's the love of Christ that's constraining me to try to reach that soul. It's the love of Christ that tells me, hey, he died for all because we thus judge that if he died for all, then all were dead. Everybody needs him. And so when you see someone who's opposing themselves, someone who's opposing you, someone who's resistant against God and angry about it and fighting, Pastor Chris told me, Pastor Chris told me when I was with him, he wanted me to go to visit somebody close to our, our building here. He said, because back in the day before we had built the building, we were canvassing this neighborhood across the street. He came across a, 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 a house where there are two people of the same gender and uh, it was the person stopped Pastor Chris before they got to their house and said, hey, what are you doing? And he handed that person a track. That person, that person getting the track said, where are you from anyway? And uh, Pastor Chris said, well, our church is in Meridian. We'd already bought the land here. Uh, but they said, what are you doing over here? This isn't your area. Get out of here. And he said, by the way, don't go to our house. People like you have trauma, traumatized my partner all their life. So stay away from us. So what is, what is that? Is that anger? Is that, is that, does that sound like enemy language to you? It sounds like someone who's not reconciled to Christ. It sounds like somebody who needs a savior. It sounds like somebody who's believing the lies of the devil, somebody who needs rescued. So we no longer look at someone who is, is fomenting or angry or yelling and antagonistic as someone who is the enemy. These are people like us who need a savior. In the past, we looked at people in opportunistic ways. We looked at them as opponents. We also looked at them in opportunistic ways. And that is, before we're saved, the disposition is, what can I get out of that person? Or how do they make me feel? Or what good are they to me? Someone to be used for my benefit. By the way, is there any reason to struggle over wondering why pornography is so strong in the world? Why? Because man is bent on using other people for their pleasure. It is the nature of mankind. We see people instead of looking at them in the flesh, we see people that God loves and wants to save. We see their blindness. We see them lost. Coming to Christ changes the way we look at lost people. Back in verse 16, though, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you see he says, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though now... Let me back up. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh... Yet now henceforth know we him no more. What does that phrase mean? Well, what does it mean to know Christ after the flesh? 
Well, to know Christ after the flesh is to know things about Christ without knowing him personally. And there are a lot of things that people think they know about Jesus. What are the common things that you hear people say about Jesus who are not saved? What do they say? Well, they say things like, he was a good what? Teacher. He was a good prophet. He was a good even man. Some would even say, and I've heard uh, some popular radio talk shows say this about Jesus, that he was a Jewish insurrectionist. So there are things that people think they know about Jesus. Other people would simply deny the things that are said about Jesus, that he didn't really do all those things, that those are folklore and just made-up stories. There are all kinds of things that people believe about Jesus that aren't so, not so. There are some that believe through doctoral sets here in this valley that Jesus is the brother of Satan. There are some that believe that Jesus was created, that he's not been eternally existent. There are some that believe that uh, just any number of things about Jesus that are not so. But Paul says in verse 16, he says, um, again, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. We don't know Christ simply under the carnal, sin-stained mind. We have come to Jesus. We've been reconciled to Christ, and he changes everything. So we go into verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? What does it say? Matter of fact, let's start over on that verse, and you read it out loud. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, would you read it now? Therefore... So, if you come to know Jesus, what these verses really are about are a worldview. From verse 14, you can back up further in the passage, but at least verse 14 forward, they're about a worldview, how you see the world around you. And folks, here's what we've got to know. This world needs Jesus. This world needs to know who Jesus is. Now, you're going you're gonna to hear me talk again largely about internships in the future. But here's one of the things I'm going to be saying about internship, about training pastors for ministry and engaging into that process and doing something about it. It really is that last phrase. Many of us are good, and you know what it's like, right? Have you ever had people in your life that they believe that seeing problems is a spiritual gift? They're able to identify problems. They're, they're able to see a, see a bulletin or they see a, an order of service and they say, oh, you, you got that spelt wrong. And that's their, that's, that's their spiritual gift, right? Oh, oh you, you got that time wrong there. And it's okay to say it. It's, it's when I get it and it's almost like a gotcha kind of thing, you know? Well, the thing is, all of us have that tendency. We all do. We see mistakes. We see things like that. It's, it's one thing to point them out. Folks, we don't want to stand outside <clears throat> of a directive of God or a problem and simply wag our heads at the problem. Hear me. For you and me alike, we need to do something about it. 
Now, in my Sunday school class, we're talking about evangelism, but who has God called to be the messengers of his truth? Well, that answer is every disciple of Christ, every follower of Christ. And I understand that many of us feel like we're not good at it. Do something about it. Do something about it. I know this is extremely convicting, and by the way, I, I feel like a hush will fall over us, and I get it. You know, there are evangelistic phrases that sometimes those evangelists coming through will say, and they'll say things like this, when's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? I don't like that question either. Sometimes it's very convicting. Can you go a day or two days or three days, a week, now it's a month, and now it's two months and three months. Can you go, can you go three months without speaking about Jesus? Can you? Can you go six months without speaking about Jesus? So um, I talked to Brother Jim Tillotson. I think it was Brother Jim Tillotson. He's president of Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa. And I think that he's the one that said it. He said, you know what? I had people in church a few years ago that they came, and you know what? They could not stop talking about somebody. They could not stop talking about them. They were almost in every sentence and every conversation that they had. And when they came to church, that's who they talked about. And they talked about that person incessantly. Who were they talking about? Do you know who that person was talking about? Trump. (laughs) On the way here last night, uh, one of my kids, we were driving into Boise one of my kids noted that somebody had off in, in a house that was off the highway that had a full window that had a picture of Donald Trump in the window. And matter of fact, if I was to, if I was to start talking about Trump in this service, some of you get all excited and say, amen. Now we're talking about something. We're talking about Jesus. We are talking about Jesus. And I get it. I get it. I know the struggle. I know the fear that can grip us. I know the, honestly, in my own life, it, call it laziness. Call it, call it whatever you want to call it. We've got to do something about it. Make some cookies. Put a track in it. Give it to your neighbor. All of them. None for you. Now say amen to that. And... Uh, in my life, buy 12 apple fritters and give them 11 with space for a track. Amen. 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 Glory. Do something about it. Do something about it. Let's talk about Jesus. We've got to find a way to talk about Jesus. I get, and by the way, I know that he's not all we talk about because, yes, you've got things going in your life. You've got things going, but he influences everything about us. That's the doctrine of the Bible for the person who's committed. What has he changed about you? He has given you deliverance. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Do you know John 3, 16 through 18? But take your Bible so you can have one more stab at memorizing this passage or testing your memory on it. All right? So we were the children of wrath. We were outside of God. What does that mean? Where were we going? Where were we going? We were under God's wrath, bound for hell, lost 
as lost could be. John 3, 16 through 18, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God." That already means even now. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Stands under the weight of God's judgment. But in Christ, you have been delivered. We read a passage just shortly ago. In Ephesians chapter 3, where it said in that Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 has said, Among whom we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, you remember the phrase? Were by nature the children of wrath. That was our, where we were headed. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new, new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He has given us deliverance. There is therefore, Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now, now, that's the, that's the John three eighteen already. That's the idea. John, in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is now no condemnation to who? To those who know Jesus, that have now received the Holy Spirit through Christ. There is no condemnation. So is it right that when I got saved, that I felt this huge sense of relief? Yes. Not even knowing all these verses but knowing that God had rescued my soul from feet that were hanging over the flames of hell, God rescues me. Folks, it's a right thing to feel that relief. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. While there is an accountability to God for how we've lived our lives and how we've laid up treasure in heaven and how we've served him, while there is an accountability, you realize there is no sin that is going to stain your life when you stand before God. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. For every believer who's come to Christ in faith, he took all of your sin. And I know this, is, this can be taken the wrong way, but it's true. He took your past, he took your present, he took your future sin. Jesus paid all of it. And I tell you, I think that we don't appreciate it enough to know that he's done it all. Matter of fact, so much has that been said the wrong way that there are believers that say, well, it's covered, it doesn't matter. Well, you need to read Romans 6. Amen. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. He's given us deliverance and he's given us destiny. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our destiny has changed. 
often read in funerals, but you know what we know? We know that this physical frame isn't all there is going to be. We know that this life is not all there is. We know that all of our hope is not bound to electric cars and solar power. We know that all of our hopes are not bent on the idea that we're going to save the planet. I still have not, no offense to those who are driving electric cars, I still don't understand how... Governor Newsom is promoting electric cars when in all the states in the country that are experiencing rolling blackouts, it's California. I'm thinking, how's this electric plan going to work, okay? I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to think. Maybe I'm too dull to get it. I don't know. My point is, I, I think that we are stewards of this planet. I think that we, we, we enjoy the planet that God has given us. But this world is not our home. We are just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You know, we have, we have because of Christ a different destiny. Verse 52, verse 51, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Victory. The sting of death is sin, but the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, by the way, I've often thought, you know, we stop there. And it's just like the gospel message back in 2 Corinthians 5. It isn't just about being saved. Therefore, verse 58... My beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in what? The work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your life matters. Your work for God matters. You are laying up treasure in heaven. There is a Jesus you're going to see face to face someday. And sentiments such as this have evoked the songs of, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. He's given us a deliverance. He's given us a destiny. He's given us a different disposition as well. And this, again, is very often a funeral passage. Then with this, we are done. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're in Corinthians, go back to Genesis and start over. <laughs> I'm helpful like that. <laughs> I'm going to pick on people. Brady, you're our treasurer. Brady deals with money all the time. As our treasurer, he serves God through helping keep track of things happening in the church. Is he laying up treasure in heaven doing that? Absolutely. Amazing. Accountants can lay up treasure in heaven. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Phil, you work on aircraft. 
Are you laying up treasure in heaven? Are you focused on heaven? Absolutely. You've, you've given your life to the service of the Lord. He's our true tracker. He and Gina are our true tracker leaders. They're laying up treasure in heaven, doing a secular job of serving Christ. Praise God. I can go through this room and I can name you out. You stay at home moms as well. You know, you're not just changing diapers. You're not just washing clothes. You're not just journeying through life. God has given you a different disposition. You men, you're working a job. Praise God, you've got a job. But it's not just about the job. God has given us a different destiny. He's given us a different disposition, uh, disposition and it's that this life is not all there is, but it is a gift. And this gift of a life is an opportunity to serve him to glorify him while we draw breath. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or those who have died, that you sorrow not even as others which, there's the phrase, which what? That have no hope. Betty told me about her brother dying. He was a Vietnam vet. And I asked Betty, my first question to her was what? What was my first question? Was he saved? And the answer, yes. My next response, praise God he's in heaven. We don't sorrow as others which have no hope. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even them, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. I listened to, I listened to a guy, I don't, I don't know his name. I don't know, I, somehow he's popular as an apologetic apologist, I guess. Um, and he was, he was saying, I believe that Christians should reject the notion of a rapture. He said, for after all, it was invented in the 1500s. And, and I'm going... Pretty sure this wasn't written in the 1500s. Am I, are you with me to get it? I, I'm like, that's where I'm wagging my head. I'm like, what are you doing? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, verse 14, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that is, in other words, with authority, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What happens as a result of this passage? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Uh, again, uh, I can't think of a better place to be on the planet than surrendered to God, loving him and living by the Spirit serving him where he leads. Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. 
Those which are alive now and those who've been redeemed, my paraphrase, should not live unto themselves but unto him which died for them. As it goes further, he says, now we know no man after the flesh. And what does that mean, we know no man after the flesh? We don't look at human beings the same way anymore. This world needs the Savior. And when we come to Christ, he changes everything. He changes everything. Is Christ worth living for? Then let's do it.